Our learning objective is to describe the term structure of interest rates and explain the investment implications of the term structure. We look at interest rates in terms of what we call the yield curve or the term structure. When I was taking my first economics course in college, I remember the professor talking about the interest rate. And that, that made sense to me that there was a, an interest rate. And then as I took more courses, I discovered actually there's not the interest rate. There are lots of interest rates. And in fact, even on bonds that are of the same type, for example, treasuries, depending on the maturity, you will get different yields or interest rates. So we can't really talk about the interest rate. But what we can talk about is a picture of interest rates. And so that's what the yield curve or the term structure of interest rates is. It is a picture at a single point in time of interest rates. And so the way we draw this picture is on the vertical axis, you plot the yield to maturity. And on the horizontal axis, you would have the term to maturity. Now, when you construct a yield curve, the key is you always have to do it for bonds of like quality. Otherwise, it becomes a little nonsensical. The most common yield curves that are constructed are based on treasuries because they have the additional benefit of not having default risk. When we draw yield curves, uh, they take on a variety of shapes. Remember, every day as bond prices change, they go up and down. By definition, interest rates are also changing, and those changes result in uh, an, will result in a new shape to the yield curve. The most common yield curve uh, is upward sloping. So the yield on short-term bonds is lower than the yield on long-term bonds. Again, this is upward sloping, or sometimes we call it a rising yield curve. This is what the yield curve looks like most of the time. It is a rising curve. Sometimes it rises steeply. Sometimes the rise is fairly subtle. But most of the time, we observe a rising yield curve. Some of the time, the yield curve is actually downward sloping, which means on short-term securities, you get much higher yields than you get on bonds of like quality, but with a longer term to maturity. A third scenario is the flat yield curve, which uh, interest rates are the same regardless of maturity. Flat yield curves are fairly rare things to observe because there's usually 
some differentiation between yields on short-term bonds and yields on long-term bonds. Now, economists look at these yield curves and, of course, uh, say to themselves, why does a yield curve take on a particular shape at a particular point in time? And over the years, we have developed several theories about what determines the shape of the yield curve. The basic theory we refer to as uh, the unbiased expectations. And the unbiased expectations says that the yield on long-term bonds is simply an average of the yield on the current, a current short-term bond and the expected yield on future uh, short-term bonds. So a long-term interest rate is nothing more than an average of current and future expected short-term rates. And so under the unbiased expectations, it would not make a difference whether you bought a 10-year bond or 10 one-year bonds. Again, it's not expected to make a difference. Ten years from now, we would know, yeah, you should have bought the 10-year or you should have bought the 10-one-year. But at the time you make the investment, under the unbiased expectations, uh, the expectation is you would end up with the same amount. A variation on this is the liquidity preference a theory, which says that, look, lenders are risk-averse. And they would always prefer to be in short-term rather than long-term because there's less volatility and because they're getting their money back sooner rather than later. So because lenders, that is the buyers of bonds, are risk-averse, they will always prefer to buy short-term over long-term bonds, other things equal, which means they're willing to pay a higher price and accept a lower yield on short-term over long-term bonds. Similarly, borrowers are risk-averse in that they don't want to finance some of their business with short-term bonds because they're concerned that when those bonds come due, there may be a credit crisis going on and they may have to refinance at extremely high rates. And therefore, they would prefer to sell long-term bonds to lock in the cost of financing and not have to worry about fluctuations from year to year in interest rates. And so borrowers prefer to issue long-term bonds and as a result they're willing to pay higher yields to sell long-term bonds than to sell short-term bonds. So lenders, bond investors, uh, will ex prefer short-term bonds and will accept lower rates. Borrowers prefer to issue long-term bonds and are willing to pay higher rates. And the net result is an upward sloping yield curve. And uh, the, the, the discount on the short-term yield, uh, what is a normal discount over time, is, is a question that uh, people in the finance field uh, often think about. And some of the research that has looked at that has suggested that 
what we would call the liquidity premium, might be something on the order of about one quarter of one percent. A third uh, theory that uh, some people like to think about is what we call the market segmentation. And the market segmentation hypothesis is the idea that even though you may have, say, a market in treasuries where all the treasuries have different maturities, don't think of this as one market. Think of it as multiple markets. And so you have a market for short-term bonds, a market for intermediate-term bonds, and a market for long-term bonds, and each market has its own supply and demand characteristics. And so ultimately the shape of the yield curve depends on the supply and demand uh, relationship in each of these separate markets. Which one is the correct hypothesis? Well, uh, I think it's kind of uh, some combination of all of them. There is truth to all of these theories. Let's go back to our unbiased expectations because it ac actually has some rather interesting mathematical implications. Let's think about uh, the yield today on a one-year bond. And you could represent this with the expression R sub 0, 1. The 0 means you observe the yield today, and the 1 means it's on a one-year bond, a bond that matures one year from now. Let's define a second yield as R sub 1, 2. And R sub 1, 2 would be the yield you observe in one year on a bond that matures two years from today. Well, if you don't observe it until one year from the day, and it's uh, a bond that matures two years from the day, that would be a one-year bond at that time. So R sub 1, 2 is the yield on a one-year bond in one year. And finally, let's consider the yield for a two-year bond today, which we would express as R sub 0, 2. Now, we've defined three interest rates. The yield on a one-year bond today, the yield on a one-year bond in one year, and the yield on a two-year bond today. I can look up two of these rates today. I can go to the newspaper, I can go to the internet, and I can look these up. What I can't look up is the yield on a one-year bond in one year. I need the newspaper for a year from now. Well, if the unbiased expectations theory is true, then it turns out there will be a precise mathematical relationship between these three yields. And the mathematical relationship is 1 plus R02, the quantity squared. That is 1 plus the yield on a two-year bond, the quantity squared, must be equal to 1 plus R01, the yield on a one-year bond, times the quantity 1 plus R12, the yield on a one-year bond, in one year. And sometimes we flip this around to solve for R12, so we can say 1 plus R sub 1, 2 equals 
1 plus r sub 0 2, the quantity squared, divided by 1 plus r 0 1. So let's consider a problem based on uh, these equations. If you notice in today's paper that the yield to maturity on a one-year government bond is 4%, and the yield to maturity on a two-year government bond is 6%, what is the expected yield on a one-year bond in one year under the unbiased expectations model? And so we have our equation that says 1 plus r sub 0, excuse me, r sub 1, 2, the yield on a one-year bond in one year, equals 1 plus r sub 0, 2, the quantity squared, divided by 1 plus r sub 0, 1. And, of course, we, we are given the yield today on a two-year bond and the yield today on a one-year bond, so you plug this in, and on the right-hand side of the equation we get 1 plus 0.06, the quantity squared, divided by 1 plus 0.04, and that turns out to be 1.0768. You then subtract 1 from both sides, and you end up with uh, the yield on a one-year bond in one year, that is R sub 1, 2, equals 0 0.0769 or 7.69 percent. So, under the unbiased expectations hypothesis, what this says is if, a, if an investor is looking at an upward sloping yield curve where the yield on a one-year bond is 4 percent and the yield on a two-year bond is 6 percent, and the investor is trying to decide should I buy a one-year bond and then when it matures roll it over into a second one-year bond, or should I just buy the two-year bond today? The answer to that question will clearly depend on, well, what's the rate of return you're going to get on a one-year bond in one year when you reinvest your first-year uh, bond money? And the unbiased expectation says right now that rate is expected to be 7.69%. Uh, okay, so the, the real issue for the financial planner is do I, do I think the actual interest rates a year from now will be greater than 7.69%? in which case I should buy two consecutive one-year bonds, or do I think it will be less than 7.69%, in which case I should today just buy the two-year bond. So even something as simple as if I want my money in two years, should I invest in two consecutive one-year bonds or a two-year bond really becomes a basic speculation on changes in interest rates uh, over the coming year. Let's consider some true-false questions. If the yield on a one-year bond is 8% and the yield on a two-year bond is 6%, the market is expecting interest rates to rise. Okay, this would be a false statement. 
because when you're looking at the yield on one-year and two-year bonds, the relationship also has implicit in it the forecast for the change. So in the previous example we looked at, when the yield on a one-year bond today was lower than the yield on a two-year bond, we saw that the expectation was that a year from now the yield on one-year bonds would be higher. So when the one-year is less than the two-year, the expectations is interest rates to rise. If you work through the numbers here with the yield on a one-year greater than the yield on a two-year, you will see the expectation is clearly for interest rates to fall. So this is a false statement. The liquidity premium hypothesis is the best explanation for a downward sloping yield curve. Well, this would be false because uh, the liquidity premium is the best explanation for a rising yield curve. And that is, investors are always willing to accept a lower yield on the shortest term bonds. Uh, the liquidity premium would be nonsensical when you have a downward sloping yield curve. So that's a false statement. 